0: Good day and welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am Corey Morgan. We put a lot of thought into the name for this show. It gets to the point though, I tend to get to the point throughout the course of this show. This is our weekly Western Standard produced news and opinion show and we always have plenty of news and I have plenty of opinion to share throughout it. So to those of you joining us live as we broadcast this, please by all means use the comment thread there i love seeing them i love seeing the interaction comment with each other send questions my way send questions towards the guests I really appreciate it. I don't necessarily read them all out, but I do see them all in it. It lets me know somebody's out there and I'm not just talking to myself like I do when I'm driving around in my car. Just keep things civil with each other, of course, so we don't have to be at each other's throats. We got Twitter for that, or X, as it is called these days. I should try to keep up with things. So, uh, yeah, as always, I like to think they're always good shows. I got another good one coming up today. I'm going to have as a guest... uh, Dr. Danny Leroy is an Associate Professor of Economics with an Agricultural Specialty at uh, University of Lethbridge, and we're going to talk about supply management. I know it sounds dull to people, but it does impact you, every one of you, actually, and it costs you at the table, so we're going to have a little more discussion on it, and I'm sure I'll get all the crabby emails from dairy farmers after we have that discussion, but that's fine. That's part of the discourse, part of the chat. It needs to be talked about. So I'm going to start with uh, what's got me you know, going a bit today. I'm going to put on my, my uh, prognostication hat and my crystal ball here and try and guess what's coming up in the future. And it's pretty easy because what's going on right now in politics has already happened before. I mean, the parallels are almost chilling. We got a Trudeau as Canada's prime minister right now. Western resource development's under attack. Government spending is out of control. Inflation harming citizens and interest rates are on the rise. It sounds just like the 80s late 70s. The current economic path now, though, is unsustainable and is going to come to a crashing halt eventually. And, you know, there's lots of blame to throw around. Conservative governments are usually a little better than liberal ones in times like this. I mean, Mulroney continued with spending increases and deficit budgets when Pierre Trudeau exited the scene. In Alberta, the progressive conservatives under premiers Lougheed and Getty, they borrowed heavily while pouring tax funds into a series of failed corporate welfare schemes. Now, the bubble finally burst in the 1990s for pretty much everybody. Debt servicing costs were taking a massive bite from government budgets while citizens just weren't ready to accept more tax increases. So governments at all levels, with every political stripe, had to cut spending. There's no getting around it. Federally, the Kretchen government balanced the budget, while provincially, we had Ralph Klein and Mike Harris bringing spending under control in, ND, you know, in Alberta and Ontario, and yeah, in Saskatchewan, even the NDP out there, they had to face economic reality. Roy Romano cut spending by 10% in one budget. and managed to balance the books in 1994. It wasn't easy, though. Unions, lobby groups, individuals, they screamed bloody murder through the 90s as the cuts were applied across the country. But at that time, at least their protests were unheeded. Canadians wanted to see balanced budgets, and they wanted to see governments cutting spending. Eventually, though, the cycle turned. With balanced budgets... Times became good again. Economies picked up, and the governments began to open the spending floodgates again. Even in Alberta, under Klein, the spending began to rise quickly at the end of the 90s. Ironically, it was when Klein started increasing expenditures when his provincial support started to flag. You know, citizens are fine with low government spending, but politicians just can't resist increasing the budgets. It's an easier way to manage the government than being fiscally responsible. Just toss more money at it. That administrative sloth, though, does come with a price over time. And in 1999, the federal government returned to deficit budgets and in Alberta it took till 2008, but deficit financing has returned here as well. And we haven't managed to produce a balanced budget since. Low interest rates they allow governments to get away with deficit financing for a time. But as we're seeing today, the rates don't stay low forever. What goes down must come up. Just servicing the federal debt alone is going to cost an estimated $34.7 billion in 2022-2023. That's assuming interest rates stop rising, of course. And every province is flushing money down the toilet on debt servicing, too. It's interest costs, guys. It's money on the credit cards that we could really spend in better places. Now, the Trudeau government, this is where it got me going on this, recently called for departments to find 15 billions in savings. I thought, wow, are they, are they finally gonna do like Cretchan and be responsible liberals and, and, and do some cuts? But no, then they quickly pivoted to say, well, we're not gonna cut 15 billion in spending. We just wanna find those savings and we'll shift it to other departments. So, other words, they won't even talk about cutting the spending. The hard reality governments and citizens need to face is that governments spend too much. And yes, I'm including citizens in that statement because, hey, we're the ones who keep turning to the government for every service or pro- problem. People want every pet project funded, every foreign cause supported, and every industry subsidized, or they'll take their votes elsewhere. And I know it doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to enough of them. Whether we like it or not, people tend to vote for whatever politician blows the most sunshine up their butt at election time, and they tend to shy away from politicians offering a realistic fiscal platform. People won't change their demands of governments until they start directly seeing the cost of spending, but we are starting to see it now. Deficit spending is fostering inflation, while taxes increase to try and keep up with the spending. The rising cost of living is hurting everybody, along with the taxes. Taxes alone right now eat up 45.3% of the average family's income. food, clothing, and shelter only make up 35.6%. Citizens are loath to admit it, but they can't hide from it forever. When enough people realize that government is the largest expense in their life and they just can't afford it anymore, they're finally gonna start demanding cuts. The question with spending cuts and austerity austerity isn't a matter of if they're gonna happen, it's a matter of when. I mean, the laws of economics are as immutable as those of gravity and the spending will have to be brought back into check eventually. We just can't keep living on the credit cards. The longer we wait to cut spending though, the harder it's gonna be when those cuts come. An increasing segment of the population has become dependent upon government jobs and programs and that segment's gonna suffer when the government's uh, spending starts contracting. It's gonna be ugly as they try to adapt. But the sooner, the better. We're on a slow motion collision course with an inevitable fiscal reality check. The the sooner we can ring the alarm bells, the better. And right now is the time. We gotta start reining in spending and reducing future pain. Right now, it feels like the warnings are falling on deaf ears, but hopefully citizens start to get the wax out and start listening soon, because when the citizens move, the politicians will follow. Even Eventually, they always do. All right, that's what's got me going today. Just some dry economic topics, but it's important stuff. Let's get on to the other news, because a bunch of stuff's been breaking, and check in with our news editor, Dave Naylor, and see what else
1: is going on out there. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Good day, Corey. I'm well, yourself? Eh, pretty good. It's a nice day. Oh, it was a beautiful day. I I was driving in uh, this morning, going down Deerfoot, and this, you know, in the back mirror, all I see is this rental car zooming by me, like about 140. So I took a quick look. I thought it might be Christian Freeland, but uh, I don't think it was. I think she's back in Ottawa.
0: Well, she'll make sure that she's chauffeured again from from there on forward.
1: Uh, Maybe this is why she doesn't have a car, Corey. Uh, She lost it through uh, speeding suspensions and all that sort of good stuff. Well, I I wish she
0: would uh, be as ambitious about managing our budget as she is about uh, making it fast on the highways.
1: Indeed. Uh, As you say, Corey, really busy last hour. I'll lead off with some international news. Uh, uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Russian mercenary group uh, uh, Wagner, uh, has been killed after his plane was shot out of the skies uh, in Russia. Uh, You remember, Corey, uh, he rebelled against Putin and uh, all his troops were marching towards Moscow uh, when he suddenly decided to stop and and go into exile in Belarus. And we all knew his days were numbered, but uh, I certainly didn't have him being uh, killed by a Russian missile. I I had him falling out a window in uh, in the office, uh, the office bingo. So uh, that's a big breaking international story. Uh, Closer to home, the Liberals, as you know, were having their... Uh, their cabinet retreat in uh, lovely Prince Edward Island. Uh, Trudeau today issued some more word salad on the, the housing crisis. Uh, Pierre Polyev, uh, leader of the opposition, came out afterwards and, and uh, was very strong and gave some actual possible solutions to the housing crisis. So uh, we've got that up there now. Uh, the CRA, which is normally uh, used to suing people, is in fact being sued themselves by a, in a class action lawsuit. Uh, by people who had their identities uh, stolen uh, during a massive uh, breach of uh, uh, CRA computers uh, a year or so ago. So uh, uh, that is up there now. Uh, OPEC, uh, we we always knew there were a bunch of uh, uh, slimy people, but the uh, former head of OPEC has been arrested in England and charged with bribery. Uh, So that uh, shows you uh, uh, the type of people that uh, they are. And the International uh, Weightlifting Federation has decided that they need to change their rules. This is after a Canadian male weightlifter uh, recently won a championship by entering the female uh, side of the competition. And he won by lifting more than 450 pounds more than his nearest competitor. So uh, the Federation said, well, that's enough of that. Uh, we're going to change that and uh, going change our policies. So it's uh, going to be women versus women and men versus men. Uh, we've got a story up there on uh, Jordan Peterson, everybody's uh, favorite psychologist. Uh, court in Ontario ruled today that the uh, uh, the regulator uh, can send him for sensitivity training over some uh, tweets that he sent out uh, uh, a while ago. And our energy expert uh, Sean Polzer's uh, got a story that uh, Canadian oil output will be the highest in five years. So, uh, uh, drill baby drill, oil's well. And a couple of stories that we're working on will be up shortly. Uh, a voice from the past. You remember Calgary uh, Catholic Bishop Fred Henry uh, Corey. Uh, uh, he's retired now, but uh, he came out. He wrote a letter saying he's demanding the feds uh, find out if even one residential school child uh, uh, is missing and uh, and murdered perhaps uh, uh, all those years ago. And uh, some people around Kelowna are going to be happy because they've been given the uh, all clear to go back home after the latest uh, wildfire and I'm sure they're all anxious to get back home and see what damage was caused Corey. I'm certain they are I can't imagine I've never had to be
0: evacuated before but it's got to be stressful and terrible Uh, I'm glad you know with all these fires and these evacuations and everything that's happened uh, still a surprising amount I mean it seems like we're erring on the side of caution because you know the fires haven't swept through any really densely populated communities yet anyway so I'd rather they aired that way myself.
1: Well, after what happened on uh, Maui a couple of weeks ago, it's uh, obviously better safe than sorry.
0: That's right. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for the check in. I'll let you get back at it and uh, I'll talk to you after the show. Thanks, Corey. That is our news editor, Dave Naylor. And this is when I like to remind you, look at all those stories. Dave is busy. He's got stuff constantly coming up there. It's coming up as it breaks. Lots of opinion and all sorts of content on there, guys. The reason we stay independent is where I nag you. This is where I shake the cup and ask for the money is because of subscribers. $9.99 a month, $100 for a year. It's just, again, we never thought twice about subscribing for a newspaper in the past. Well, that helps us keep going. We don't take government funding and the government uh, has, you know, we can't even share our content on Meta and some of those other sites now. The battle's going on, and you guys have been great. To those who have already subscribed, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, come on, guys, get on there and share us. That's part of the other thing, too, this this ridiculous C-18, this stopping of links for news sites. The, the problem is it's harder to reach out and get to new people. It's harder for them to find us in, in the first place. After that, they can come directly to the site, which is westernstandard.news. But uh, share on Facebook. You can share it. You can share it on X, formerly Twitter and all those sites. And it's how we can beat the government regulation and allow independent media to keep going and keep those stories rolling out there. And, And there's a lot going on. So yeah, that's interesting in Russia. It was almost an office pool. You know, I mean, this was a guy who, who, uh, Uh, stood up to to Putin uh, with that that Wagner group, uh, the mercenary, and the the only question was when he was going to die and and how. Uh, It sounds like they didn't even bother trying to sugarcoat this. They just shot him out of the sky. You know, usually they try for an accidental death a poisoning or maybe choking at a fancy Russian restaurant, but uh, no, this time they just blew him down. There's not a good retirement plan working for Russian oligarchies and and, uh, other such uh, places like that. Uh, let's see. So yeah, you know, the, the, the talk, the talk, the, the starting monologue, the things that are going on, it's cost of living. You know, we're all hurting right now. As we said, Polyev is coming out. He's talking about the housing. I mean, people are having a heck of a time finding a home. I can't imagine how, what it takes for a young person to get that down payment together, uh, you know, get your credit up to speed. The whole works. I mean, getting in on a house right now, way out of control or renting. Of course, the rents are going through the roof. Uh, everything is going up. And again, there, there's a lot to be discussed. It's a, a lot of it comes down to oversized government. That's what I started the monologue with. A lot of it comes to bad policy, uh, over-regulation. I mean, that's that's a lot of it, whether it's home construction, like uh, Polyev has been talking about, or whether it's in food production. And I'm you know, sort of segueing into my guest here because this is an area... I've talked about it on the show before, but we don't talk about it enough. And we've got a supply-managed system in Canada. And I'll I'll kind of lead and save him some of the explanation. You know, that the the bottom line is uh, dairy, poultry, eggs, they are all tightly, tightly controlled. You can't produce over a certain amount or even start producing in some cases unless you have a government-issued quota. Those quotas have become a commodity in themselves. But what they do is artificially I mean, some would say keep the price stable, but they also keep the price high. We pay some of the highest prices when compared to comparable countries for those sorts of food items than anywhere else. And, and uh, those are going up. This isn't protecting us when times get tough. And it's one area I think we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to my guest about that, where maybe some quick changes can help make some things affordable for Canadians uh, uh, from the government right away. So let's bring them in. As I said earlier at the start of the show, it, it's... Uh, uh, Danny Leroy is an associate professor of economics, boy, that's a tongue twister, uh, at University of Lethbridge and uh, specializing in, in agricultural economics. So uh, th- thank you very much, uh, doctor, for for joining us today.
2: Oh, you're welcome, Corey. I'm very glad to be here.
0: So you kind of heard me starting out in there. Uh, maybe if you could expand a little. I mean, what is Canada's supply management policy and maybe a little bit of why? Why was it brought in? I, I like to think the intention was good.
2: It, very good intentions. Uh, supply management was uh, first introduced in Canada uh, in, the, uh, in the dairy industry in uh, the late 1960s, the early 1970s. And the aim of the, uh, of the program was to uh, enhance and stabilize the returns to raw milk producers. Uh, at the time, there was a lot of uh, price variability in uh, raw milk and uh, people who produce milk uh, tended to uh, be in parts of the country where alternatives weren't very good in terms of production of other, uh, other commodities. So it was a, f- a way of providing assistance to, uh, to uh, individuals engaged in, uh, the, in agricultural activities in, in, in challenging areas. Uh, the idea behind, the, how it works is that um, prices for producers are 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 determined based on cost of production formula so that producers uh, have most of them have an opportunity to to earn a a living and a return on their on their enterprise. Uh, Like I said this was first introduced in dairy in the in the late 1960s early 70s. Uh, Eggs became supply managed in Canada in 1972. Uh, Turkeys in 1974. Chickens in 1978, and broiler hatching eggs uh, in 1986. So there's five commodities in this country that are uh, strictly controlled in terms of their production and the prices that uh, producers receive.
0: Okay, so I mean, at this point, though, do we need these policies? I I mean, I I have seen some papers put out and studies uh, showing that we're paying quite a premium for those products in Canada. uh, When perhaps, you know, if those policies were lifted, we could see some reductions in some of our food costs.
2: Well, it's an interesting way you phrase that. You use the royal we, do we need this, right? Well, there are some producers that do, right? Over the course of the last 50 or more years, uh, many intergenerational farms uh, in the supply managed area, uh, they've become quite dependent on the continuation of this program, right? Uh, it enables, uh, supply management enables them to sell uh, uh, a product into, uh, into a protected market, privileged market, at a price that they know that they're going to receive if they meet the specifications in terms of quality and quantity, right? There's a, so there's, um, they don't have to worry about some of the risks that other producers face in terms of uh, marketing their commodity, right? They don't face the same price risk, for example. That uh, raw milk producers, or egg producers, or poultry producers, they don't face the same price risks as a as a producer of cattle or or grains or oil seeds do in in Canada. Now, there would be some advantages, right, if uh, these policies were uh, were removed or were changed. Um, one of the things that is a pretty clear. Uh, uh, fact about economic science is that uh, whenever there is free trade between individuals, each counterparty to the transaction wins, right? So if it were possible to remove the impediments between willing buyers and willing sellers, there could be more wealth created in markets for raw milk, eggs, turkey, chicken, and so on.
0: So, I mean, if we moved away from it, I mean, it was a bit of a trend. A lot of nations brought in supply management policies during that time as well. New Zealand, Australia are examples we hear about a lot. I mean, you can't just flick a light switch and say, okay, we've stopped the policies. It would disrupt the the producers terribly. I mean, quotas became a commodity, even an artificial one. So they would need to be bought out or eased out of the system. Well, we, we that's also
2: with. that's also a political question, right? Yeah. Uh, so the, the choice of subsidizing somebody to to help them exit the industry is is also a form of a subsidy. But this was used, and you're correct. it was used in places like Australia, where uh, the supply managed system uh, that once existed was uh, phased out over a period of time. And consumers helped to finance that. So uh, in view of helping farmers transition to a more open market, uh, there is a a surcharge levied on consumers at retail level that helped finance uh, the the transition for primary producers of raw milk in Australia, right? So um, uh, this enabled them to move with, I guess, less financial pain for the producers, than would otherwise be the case but it's a great example of mansur olson's you know the the logic of collective action in these circumstances there's a small number of beneficiaries who have a very concentrated self-interest in maintaining the status quo where the costs are dispersed on the other hand over a large number of people so you were mentioning in the introduction you know we pay higher prices canadians Depending on where you're located, pay higher prices for uh, for supply-managed products in the grocery store, like butter, for example. That's one that's been in the headlines a lot, and fluid milk, and and, and so on. Yeah, we we do we do pay some higher prices uh, for that, but uh, most people uh, are more concerned about their mortgage payments. Right? So yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm paying. 50 cents, 75 cents more for a gallon of milk at the grocery store. I'm not gonna to get too much in a twist about that. Whereas a dairy producer, a raw milk producer would if, if a supply management was terminated, right? There's a big impact on, on, the, on their enterprise compared to a few dollars a week for a, a family of four consuming groceries.
0: Yeah, well, it's always though that case gets made. Oh, it's just a cup of coffee a day. It's yeah. just a little bit here and a little bit there. But that that's what sort of suddenly we find that we're. But, but,
2: but that money. adds up. It adds up, right? Um, and it also adds up uh, for the for producers themselves, right? So when you're insulated from from international competition, uh, you don't fa- you don't have the same incentives in terms of uh, changing your business and um, uh, in terms of processors in Canada. Uh, producing the products that consumers want, right? If you're selling into a protected market, you don't face the same incentives as others who, uh, who have to, who, who, who compete not with uh, just their next door neighbors and, and other processors or producers domestically, but it's international competition. So I, uh, one takeaway is that uh, while people often say, well, supply management has been put in place to, uh, to help support and protect the, the, um, the, the farmer in Canada against foreign competition. In fact, uh, these barriers to trade uh, protect farmers in Canada from their fellow Canadians and the, and the decisions that they would make in terms of the goods that they would produce if they were left free to do so, if there weren't impediments to international trade.
0: Well, right back to the, the beginning statements you said, you know, in a, in a true free market, both the buyer and the, and the seller are going to benefit if they're just allowed to to deal directly with each other. I, I think of back an, an example with the Wheat Board. There was a, a group in Saskatchewan when we still had the Wheat Board going and they wanted to start actually a pasta company in their small little town. They were going to use their own wheat. They were going to manufacture the pasta. If we bypass all these middlemen, we can come up with a really good product and employ some local people and, uh, you know, diversify what we do but it turns out they would have had to sell their wheat to the wheat board, buy it back to the wheat from the wheat board at an inflated price and they would have lost all advantage so they threw the plan out the window. But I mean talking about with uh, I guess supply managed industries it, it stifles creativity I mean there's a lot of producers probably have some good ideas or areas where they could broaden what they do but yeah. they're pretty constrained with where they're sitting.
2: They are in fact the, the only le- and, and raw milk is the most stringent of all of them all of these supply managed commodities the only legal buyer of raw milk in every province is the provincial milk marketing board it's uh while a farmer can consume raw milk that he or she has produced on their own enterprise uh, they're precluded legally from selling that raw milk to anybody else other than the provincial milk marketing board Um, and that's not true for the other supply managed commodities which is why when you go to uh, a farmer's market or you might see some uh, uh, some some very small producers that have small flocks of chicken they can sell directly to consumers or eggs right you can have a roadside stand sell sell farm fresh eggs as long as you're not of of commercial scale and every province specifies what that threshold is Uh, in some provinces it's 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 actually quite a big number. In other places, it's small. But raw milk is the only one where that uh, opportunity for a a primary producer doesn't exist. To sell something that they have produced themselves, that they cannot legally sell that to anybody else except a government agency.
0: Well, and that's led to uh, cases of dumping. I've talked on this show about before my wife grew up on a small dairy farm, but her father only had a quota for cream. and. So he would skim the cream, he would sell that. The household would drink as much milk as they could, feed some to the pigs, but the rest would get dumped because it was illegal to sell the milk. And that was, well, a it,
2: scale, but it, it, it's illegal to sell the milk, but we want to be careful, right? So with respect to that high profile case that fell in Ontario who was video recorded himself of dumping milk,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: there probably isn't a single producer in Canada that hasn't done that at one time or another, right? There's a quality issue where the milk has to be dumped or you, it's, it's the less expensive alternative, right? If, if producers supply more than their, their, their quota allotment, uh, they're penalized. And sometimes that penalty is quite expensive. So the best course of action is to, to dump a little bit. Now, um, in this particular case, uh, the timing, I suppose was very bad because, uh, uh, you know, just coming through the pandemic and, and prices for commodities are, are uh, uh, prices for, for groceries were quite high. And this poor fellow has, has to dump his milk because uh, he's produced too much of it. So it was uh, the optics weren't very good, but he was making a point.
0: He uh, certainly, and I mean, uh, you know, social media gives a new way to make a point rather than, than just say uh, transferring the oral uh, stories like I did with my wife, for example. Uh, so, I mean, getting a little into the political side, though, and you know, that's it's, the dairy cartels, if you want to call them such, are very, very effective political lobbyists. They, they influence parties of all stripes. Uh, they protect that supply management system very jealously. Uh, do you think there's ever going to be a political will? to start easing out of it. I I interviewed all of the conservative leadership candidates back when they were running for the leadership, and only one of them said he would challenge the supply management system, not another. The others were all terrified as soon as it came up. They'd rather not
2: touch it. No, one of the the things that we do know in this country is that, uh, uh, to their credit, they have one of the most effective lobbying organizations around, right? Uh, And this is manifest itself in in some of the uh, subsidies that the producers are now receiving because of uh, trade agreements the federal government has signed with uh, the European Union, with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and more recently, the Canadian-US uh, Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA 2.0, right? Producers of supply-managed commodities are, are, are receiving subsidies for lost market share uh as a consequence of of signing these agreements when in fact there's very little evidence to suggest that uh that there has been market share that that they've lost new zealand and the u.s are are currently uh they've got a case that uh the, the amount of access that's that has been set aside uh isn't being filled right so um raw milk production this past may was at record level so that you know we're producing as much as as we have ever have in this country of supply managed commodities uh there's never been fewer primary producers of supply managed commodities there's fewer than ten thousand raw milk producers now in this country there's fewer than 500 dairy farms in the province of alberta uh, and there's about a, you know, a, a couple of thousand uh, primary producers of the other supply managed commodities. So in terms of the politics, getting back to your point, there's, there's uh, maybe uh, 12,000, 13,000 producers of, of supply managed commodities that wield enormous political influence.
0: Well, and, and that's another aspect. I mean, some people, uh, defenders of the supply management policy said it helps protect the family farm. Now, I wouldn't necessarily blame supply management, but at least evolution and economies of scale. I mean, it used to be over 100,000 producers, I believe, a couple of decades ago, and now it's contracted down to, as you said, about 12,000. So they are becoming yeah. just a, of necessity, larger corporate enterprises. Uh, yeah. The romanticized family farms is long gone.
2: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: Well, well, we'll see if we can start solving these. Like I said, a lot of people, when you you, you talk about supply management, though, they, the eyes glaze and then they tire. And then as, there's not a lot of will on the ground necessarily from the public, but it, it is something that's costing.
2: It, it is. And I, I think it's important to remember all the people involved, right? Uh, there, there are beneficiaries of the continuation of this policy, and there are people that do stand to lose, at least in the short term. Uh, so... Um, One of the things that's really important in economics is that there isn't this royal we. There's you and I and each of us make our own decisions with respect to what we produce, what we consume, and whom we we interact with.
0: Well, I have to avoid triggering you with that uh, we term there. we <laughs> the talk, but I appreciate the correction. And it's, it's you're, a good, you're real, welcome. very you're welcome. valid point. So uh, before I let you go, where, where can people find your stuff? I know you've done some work with the Fraser Institute and, and you're at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, do, do you write further publications or anything like that?
2: I do on occasion. If you, do, uh, uh, if you want to find me online, go to the University of Lethbridge Department of Economics. Um, I coordinate the agricultural studies program here, and uh, as you mentioned at the outset, one of the, my areas of interest is uh, agricultural production, uh, marketing, and trade, and uh, that's certainly uh, has—it's very important in Canada with uh, supply-managed commodities, and of course, in southern Alberta where we are, it's, it's uh, particularly important for uh, beef and for grains and oilseeds, and crops grown under irrigation lots of issues in agriculture and agri-food, and lots of opportunity.
0: Absolutely. No, there's much more than we could cover in 15 minutes. That's for sure. I hope we can have you on again to talk about
2: these kind of things down the road then. That would be my pleasure. I look forward to it, Corey. Enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Excellent. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us, Danny. You're welcome. All right. So that was Dr. Danny Leroy, yes, from the University of Lethbridge. And there, so you've gotten my torqued and wound up uh, rants about supply management and things like that. But it, I'm bringing in a, a reasoned and educated individual to talk about those policies. And and they, they do impact everybody, whether we want to talk about them or not. And it's not necessarily that dry. It's, it's interesting is to see, uh, as we said, it started with good intentions. But again, so many bad policies always do start with uh, I think noble intentions, and and uh, it was good to to have some balance. Pointing out there's there's going to be. Uh, Beneficiaries, and uh, I guess you could say, you know, people who certainly don't benefit if it changes. It's good to see a a free market person speaking uh, from a university, though, and coming out of those spots, and and you know, breaking a bit of that mold of what we're seeing from academia these days. I I guess when you're in economics and agriculture, I mean, you've got to be a common sense grounded sort of person to to maintain what you're doing. Now, something that came down today, uh, Dave mentioned that uh, with the news check in earlier, you know, and it kind of ties into that, Doctor. Jordan Peterson, the Ontario court has uh, upheld, uh, I I guess, you know, the, the, I don't know if you'd call it a ruling, but you see what has happened is the cancel mob has been trying to get Peterson for years. You know, they hate him. They hate him. I mean, they're frothing, raging people. They want to cancel him. He dared. This was just back when he was a professor. All he did, University of Toronto, though, as a psychologist, a professor, was dared when he was mandated. People were saying, you've got to start referring to individuals as Z and Zer. And this was back in 2016. I guess they're ahead of their time. I think it was 2016. And he said, no, no, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. I won't do it. And they went bananas. They went bananas. They were crazy on them. How dare you? How dare you? And they screamed and they threatened. And other professors sanctioned him and wrote up things and demanded... And he's still, the thing that drives them so mad with Peterson is that he won't apologize. He won't back down. Too many do. Too many people just cave and cower. And he won't. And the other part is, ironically, and I know, uh, you know, Dr. Peterson was already a successful professor, but boy, it took him and turned him into an international celebrity because people found it refreshing. They found an academic speaking out about political correctness and speaking out against identity politics and speaking out about how stupid it is to call somebody Z or Xer, much less to mandate somebody to call them Z or Zer. It's stupid. It's stupid. Hey, if you want to be called Zzer, you know, if you ask me politely, I'll say so. I'll call you that. Fine. I don't care. Call you an artichoke if that's your preference. But don't tell me What I have to refer to you. That's the big difference. Either way, Dr. Peterson did great. His books were selling like crazy. He was speaking to sold out functions all over North America, around the world. But you see, the mob couldn't relent. They couldn't let off him. So, how can we punish this man? How can we dare, you know, to get this man who dared to break orthodoxy? Then they realized we can go after his professional association. You see, he is a psychologist. He had patience. He did do still see patients. He's a, you know, a licensed registered psychologist. So they went after the association, they pressured, they demanded, they threatened, they scared. And of course, you'll get these professional associations, they get scared fast and they get scared easily. So they ruled. They said, you, Dr. Peterson must take this this, this course on social media behavior and sensitivity and garbage like that. That stinks. It rings of re-education camps. It's thought crime. You don't have to like what Dr. Peterson said. But I mean, the the association, the only time they should be sanctioning is if he was truly doing something unprofessional. If he was being a pervert online, if he was breaking laws, if he was abusing people. But what he was doing was speaking out with a view they didn't agree with. That's all. You got to remember, these associations are populated and managed by the nutless. I tell you, I know this from working in the oil field because, you know, when you get these professional associations, even in the energy sector, private market, and they get these industry associations and they got to hold a conference once a month or do this and do that. You don't send your best and brightest to sit on the boards of these associations. You send the brother-in-law you were forced to hire because, you know, get him out of my hair. He's a moron. And uh, he'll put him. To work doing something else. Unfortunately, when the oil companies are sending their dead weight all to these uh, associations, then these associations, of course, tend to be dominated and populated by morons and cowards and things such as that. Get the woke guy out of your boardroom and stick him out. Uh, you know, spending some time with your professional association—that's great until that association turns on you, and that's what happened with Peterson. You don't have to like what he said. He dared to point out with an overweight woman and said it didn't look attractive. Hey, some guys love the, 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 the chunkier gals, good for them too. But that's his opinion, he's allowed to have it. And yes, he's, he's questioned some of the trans-orthodoxy. Either way, that led down to now the courts. The Ontario court ruled today and said, no, they are allowed to basically say, either we're going to pull your license, you will no longer be a practicing psychologist, or you go to this re-education course re-education. We will drill it into you. We will make you look at your shoes in shame. We will tell you what you're supposed to think, and most certainly what you're supposed to say. And it sounds already like Peterson said, get stuffed, not happening. He's going to be pushing back. But they will take away that part. He'll be fine. His books are selling fine. His lectures, it's a point of principle at this point, but it's a big point of principle. And not everybody can afford to stand up to the cancel mob when they turn their head towards you as Dr. Peterson could. Some people can and do get bankrupted once that mob gets swirling around them, those, those unrelenting hornets of self-righteous. <laughs> I gotta watch for the swearing. You know, Being on the Cowboy Network and everything, we uh, are you know still under the CRTC, so I gotta behave myself. But the court held it up. Said, yes, you can take away this man's career because he was politically incorrect online. It's a scary precedent. And you know those frothing, self-important jerks who feel they should control the speech and thought of others are just tickled pink right now. They're going to go after others. They're going to find others. And they're going to ruin people. They're bullies of the worst sort. And as I said, they have no remorse. They don't care who they crush. So this was a big, big deal with that court ruling today. Uh, Basically, it wasn't even a court ruling. They they didn't even hear it. I think they they threw it out because he was challenging against it. So, yeah, we got a big problem. And look at some of the stuff that we won't be allowed to, well, I don't say we, Danny corrected me on that. None of that we stuff. But people won't be able to speak out without a punishment on a lot of issues when common sense sh- should prevail. And that, that the case Dave mentioned with the, the power lifter. So this was in Canada. I'm not, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. It was a man. It was a insecure, pathetic man. who suddenly said, I'm gonna identify as a woman And enter a sport that is clearly, purely, you know, gender-wise, there's a a huge advantage to being male when you go into that powerlifting. There's no beating around the bush. It's not a matter of opinion. God, the loony left likes to tell us to follow the science. Well, let's talk about science. Men tend to be stronger than women. That's why we broke up athletic uh, events on gender. So this man came in, and he didn't just beat the women who'd spent all that time, did all that work, all that dedication, training for this event. He didn't just beat her a little. So he lifted, and I guess it's something where you squat and deadlift. I don't know. I don't do all that stuff. You can tell by my build. Uh, I'm sure most of the women in that event, the real women, would still outlift and beat the snot out of me. That's fine. But when you're getting to the high levels of these things, you know, men who do that similar training will outperform the women. He outperformed it. So by 200 pounds over the next closest woman, 200 pounds. Like it just completely removed the element of competition whatsoever. So that's just absurd. Yeah, 597 pounds versus the next person's 387. What a an insult. What an insult. And that we even have to discuss it. That we even have to say, this is absurd. This is unfair. This is an actual assault against women. This is... This is getting towards the end game of the woke. This is how dumb they are. This really is. I mean, the woke began with women back in the the 60s and 70s when they weren't getting rights that they should have, when they were being underpaid for the same job that men were doing and things like that. There were rights that were being abused. Uh, Women were being left to hang if, if, if a husband took off on them, things like that. But now it's come all the way around all the way around, and the woman loses her rights as long as a man says, "You know what? I think today I'm going to identify as a woman." We're not even talking about somebody who's dedicated a life to being trans. We're not talking about somebody who's had, uh, of course, uh, some of the surgical or or drug, uh, you know, transitioning or all, any of those things change their lifestyle. They just have to say, "Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't." That's nuts. Yeah, I'm going to lay off the nut thing for a bit here. But you know, self-identifying, no. No, it's crazy. And at least some of these sporting associations are saying that's enough. But there's going to be pushback. I'm forgetting some of the names, but you know, the, the case in the States with that, that man who's down there swimming and blowing all the, the women out of the, 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 the water as far as the races go. You know, defeating them all over the place down there. And the, one of the, the competing women dared to speak out. She said, this is nuts. I can't compete with this guy. And plus, he's standing around in the change room. I turn around, and there's male parts behind my head. Because this is a fully intact man. I'm not going to call him a her. Somebody who identifies as a her, who is truly trans, wants to live that way, absolutely. But this clown? No, this is an insecure, pathetic wretch who couldn't make it in his own gender competitions. He has a girlfriend, by the way. So he thought, I'll just go beat the women. It is almost a form of beating women in it. We saw that case, and I guess it did turn out there was some truth. There's a, a guy joining a women's rugby team. You know, we, and they, we, we're and we supposed to deny reality. We're supposed to say there isn't an inherent advantage. Of course there is. Uh, you know, the best of all was that purple-haired soccer beast from the United States. Uh, again, I'm terrible with names. I can't remember her name, but she was the woke of the woke and, uh, you know, heading the American team and the works. Yeah. And saying, you know, on these trans issues and all the rest. But her team, her top women's team in all of the United States, I believe they were the top in the world at one point, got beaten by a high school team of boys. They did. Check it out. Look it up. These were highly trained women, fantastic players, but they can't step over that physiological reality that male bodies, physiques in those kinds of sports have an advantage. And it's ruining it. And it's going to ruin it all around. I mean, somebody else was talking about going into the WNBA, you know, the the, the basketball. Again, look at the tallest man ever and the tallest woman. There's going to be height advantages. It's got to come to a stop. Now, getting back on a side rant about this whole thing. This is what the cancel crowd comes after. We won't be allowed to have this conversation. Somebody's saying that man shouldn't be competing against women in a sport might suddenly get the cancel mob they might get phone calls to their professional association saying sanction this person put this person out of work bankrupt this person this person doesn't devo- deserve to earn a living because they hurt my feelings by stating physiological realities and the courts by the precedent that ontario says set say yeah that's perfectly fine go on welfare i guess or or find a new or of course or of course Go for re-education. Go in, hang your head in shame. Do like the Chinese did with the shaming, hang the card off your chest. You had wrong think. You were bad, naughty. Change your thoughts. You're not allowed to independently think. You have to think with the wall. Guys, this is important. This is really, really important. You don't have to like Peterson. Not everybody does. You don't have to agree with him. Lots of people don't. But protect that right for not just academics, but it's pretty important with the academics, but for everybody to speak out on these things. You don't understand. This mob will turn on you. They'll turn on you. They will eat their own. They will eat the woke. It doesn't matter if you try to pander to them. It doesn't matter if you try to uh, you know, stay woke. You slip even once. They will eat you alive. They're parasites. They're hyenas. And the courts are affirming these hyenas, and it's disgusting. We've got to speak up, guys they will come for you. They will come for you. So we can't sit quietly on these things. Well, that kind of eats up a lot of the time today, guys. So, uh, yes, it went fast. Thank you very much for joining me. Look, i got to remind you one more time, get on there, westernstandard.news slash membership. Take out a subscription. Share it on X. Share however you can on Facebook. Things like that. Meta. Get the word out. Independent media can... F- Still shine through. We don't have to lose to the uh, subsidized media, and uh, we can keep talking about things that the other outlets are just too cowardly to address. And we can have these kinds of conversations. So, thanks for supporting us, guys. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you all again next week at this time.
3: Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge, where we've had about an inch of rain over the past few days. Cash barley is down five dollars at three sixty-five. Feed wheat is steady at three seventy-nine and corn is down $5.00 at three seventy-six dollars per metric tonne. In the milling wheat market, September Minneapolis futures added 9.5 cents at seven eighty-three per bushel, with local harder at spring bid for August movement at $10 per bushel. Looking at canola, November futures are higher $6.40 at eight hundred two forty dollars per tonne, with delivered vice for September movement at $17.85 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices remain at $0.33 per pound, and yellow peas are trading at 10.20 per bushel and looking at cattle october live cattle are up 35 cents at 178.30 per hundred weight for more information on pricing or picked up options give me a call at 403-394-1711 i'm matt musicum at marketplace commodities accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options
0: canadian shooting sports association without the cssa our gun rights would have been taken long Long ago, these guys are on the front lines, uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms, regulations, and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. We've become a member. It's absolutely worth every penny.